In the early 1980s, the horrific murders of two young children provoked law enforcement to perform more thorough investigations into the crimes, ultimately leading them to the capture and imprisonment of one of Singapore's most notorious murderers. During their trial, several extremely disturbing accounts of sadistic rites and rituals were unveiled. This is the case of the Taupeo Ritual Murders. Listener discretion is strongly advised. The world of ritualistic child abuse. They would sacrifice animals. Does it make you want to hate murder, or does it make you want to do murder? Let's explore the darkness of mankind, one crime at a time. Welcome back to Rogue Darkness, the podcast that uncovers how the misinterpretations and misinformation surrounding witchcraft, the occult, and other beliefs have led many to do unthinkable crimes. From ritualistic killings and the demons that live in all of us, to exploration of the macabre and delving deep into the unknown, let's explore the darkness of mankind one crime at a time. I'm your host of The Grim and Gruesome, Raven. Let's go rogue and get right into today's chilling crime, the disturbing case of the Taupeo murders, where the bodies of two children were discovered in the town of Taupeo in central Singapore back in 1981, and how the macabre crime shook the entire nation of Singapore and still lingers on the minds of many to this day. On January 25th, 1981, the lifeless body of a nine-year-old girl was found at a block of public housing flats in the town of Taupeo, shocking locals and authorities alike. As if the discovery of the young girl wasn't horrific enough, two weeks later, the body of a ten-year-old boy was also found near the same area. So now, let's start off from the very beginning. On the afternoon of January 24th, 1981, Nine-year-old Agnes Ning Suhok was leaving her church where she had been attending religious classes. Hours had passed, and Agnes had still not returned home from her classes. Then, the unfortunate discovery of her lifeless body was found in a bag, located not even a mile away from her church. When an autopsy was conducted, it was determined that young Agnes had been likely smothered to death, and she had also faced sexual assault as there was injuries to her vagina and semen found within her rectum. Upon finding this gruesome discovery, authorities then launched an intensive investigation into the crime scene and began questioning more than 250 people who could have likely been witnesses or whom had ties to the scene. But much to their dismay, they failed to obtain any fruitful leads. A few weeks after the unfortunate discovery of Agnes, on February 7th, the naked and lifeless body of 10-year-old Ghazali bin Marzuki was found under a tree between blocks 10 and 11 of the same public housing area where Agnes's body was found. Ghazali had been reported missing since the previous day and had last been seen getting into a taxi with an unidentified woman. Forensic pathologists performing the autopsy on Ghazali deemed the ultimate cause of death was drowning. They also noted that there were suffocation marks on his body that were similar to those found on Agnes when her body was discovered. Other post-mortem findings were that there were no signs of sexual assault. There were burns on the young boy's back as well as a puncture on his arm. Traces of a sedative were later detected in his blood, leading them to determine that the puncture on his arm was where the sedative had been injected prior to his death. 
The authorities inspecting the crime scene reportedly saw a trail of blood that led to the seventh floor of Block 12 within the housing flats. As they entered the common corridor of the building from the stairwell, inspectors noticed an eerie mix of religious symbols. On the entrance of the first flat, unit number 467F, the owner of that unit, a man named Adrian Lim, opened the door and casually spoke with the inspectors, introducing himself and informing them that he lived in the flat with his wife, Tan Mui Chu, and his girlfriend, Hoka Hong. Seeming a bit suspicious and almost too helpful, the inspectors asked Adrian if they could search his flat to remove him as a possible suspect. Willingly granting them their search, upon entering the flat, the police immediately saw traces of blood covering the floors. Now, before I delve deeper into the crime scene and ultimate arrests, let's go back in time even further and really get into the backstory of Adrian Lim himself and what ultimately caused him to become one of Singapore's most prolific killers. Born on January 6, 1942, Adrian was the oldest son within his family. Growing up in an immensely poor household, Adrian had his fair share of troubles growing up, and was said to be a hot-tempered boy by his own sister, saying he would oftentimes lash out even with very little prompting. Working several odd jobs throughout his years, from being an electrician to being an informant for the Internal Security Department, Adrian had his share of experience in several fields. In April of 1967, Adrian married his childhood sweetheart, whom he would go on to have two children with. He was even said to have converted to Catholicism for her, since she grew up within a dedicated Catholic home. In the year of 1973, Adrian began a new profession, this time working as a self-proclaimed spirit medium, which under this guise he would use to manipulate and swindle unsuspecting and vulnerable individuals. His preferred clientele were superstitious men and older women who he felt he could easily scam out of money while also preying on women much younger than him, those who oftentimes had abusive or rough histories, persuading them to trust him just for him to ultimately take advantage of them. He used several deceptive tactics to trick his victims. One such trick referred to as the needles and egg, where he would blacken needles with soot from a burning candle. Then he would carefully insert the needles into a raw egg and then would seal the hole with powder. In his rituals, Adrian would pass the egg several times over his client's head while chanting. He then asked the client to crack open the egg. Unaware that the egg had been tampered with, the client would be convinced upon seeing the black needles that evil spirits were harassing them. This was his way of gaining control over his female victims. Adrian would say that he had supernatural powers and that he could help the women rid themselves of the evil spirits through a spiritual massage ritual which he would ultimately use to rape them. He would make the women strip down with him, have them lay down, and then would proceed to massage their entire bodies, including their genitals, with the statue of one of the sex goddesses he worshipped. Then, once they had no physical way of escaping, he would force himself on them and rape them. Alongside his abusive rituals, Adrian would also many times use shock therapy on his victims, another way of gaining more control over them, all the while claiming it would cure their headaches and drive away the evil spirits that were attacking them. The only thing attacking these unfortunate women, though, was Adrian Lim himself and his sadistic faith healing. 
One of Adrian's ongoing victims was a woman by the name of Catherine Tanmui Chu, who had suffered immense neglect from her family at a young age and would ultimately meet Adrian through a co-worker of hers who suggested she go to him to cure her depression. After going to Adrian regularly for quite some time, in 1975, Adrian, who was 33 years old at the time, insisted that 21-year-old Catherine move into his flat with him and his family. Adrian ended up lying to his wife that he was not having an affair with Catherine, even going to the extent of taking an oath over a picture of Jesus. Being a devout Catholic, his wife initially believed him, allowing Catherine to move into their home. However, she ended up discovering the truth and promptly left Adrian a few days later, taking her children with her and finally divorcing him in 1976. By 1977, Adrian and Catherine went and registered to be married. He had her fully under his cruel grip, secluding her from her family, manipulating her to believe he was the only one who loved her, and he was the only one who could help her with her troubles. It was reported that the whole time they were together, Adrian was extremely abusive towards Catherine, exploiting her sexually by forcing her into prostitution and stripping, all the while keeping any money she made for himself and even going to the extent of using his shock therapy on her to assure she stayed obedient to him. In 1979, the mother of 24-year-old Ho Kai Hong brought her and her sisters to Adrian for his services, not knowing the cruelty he inflicted on his numerous victims. Believing he could help cure Ho of her ailments, the mother entrusted him with her, which ultimately led to Adrian using the same tricks and modes of manipulation to control Ho, and eventually persuading her to become his holy wife. Adrian began by isolating Ho from her family, filling her head with the belief that her family didn't love her, and that he was the only one who did, and in turn, was the only person she needed to flourish in this life. Ho was actually already married at the time she had met Adrian, to a man named Benson Lo Nyako. However, this did not stop her from falling for Adrian's lies and moving in with him and Catherine. Ho's husband Benson became concerned that she never returned home, so he went to Adrian's flat to see if he knew where she was, as she had been spending a lot of time with him for her treatments. Upon arriving at the flat, Benson was warmly greeted by Adrian and asked to stay for one of Ho's sessions so he could see what was taking place. A false way to gain Benson's trust and for Adrian to carry out his sadistic plan further. Adrian convinced Benson to even participate in the electroshock therapy, which would ultimately lead to his untimely demise. On the morning of January 7, 1980, Benson sat next to his wife Ho, their arms locked together while their feet were submerged in separate tubs of water. Adrian then proceeded to send a large voltage through Benson's body, electrocuting him until he died. All the while, Ho was stunned into unconsciousness. Benson was only 25 years old when he was murdered. To steer the authorities away from him, Adrian had Ho lie saying that Benson died from switching on a faulty electric fan. Based off of her claims, the authorities concluded they didn't need to investigate Benson's death further at that time. Afterwards, Adrian then blamed Ho for Benson's death, stating that one of the evil spirits that lived inside her must have jumped into Benson during the shock treatment, ultimately killing him. This further held Ho under the manipulating grip of Adrian, making her feel even more alone, and that no one would ever believe her, let alone help her. After the murder of Benson, Adrian casually continued working as a false medium, tricking more and more unsuspecting women into giving him money 
and sex. He would even use Catherine and Ho to help convince the women into performing such acts, saying that he truly was the healer he claimed to be. Nearing the end of 1980, Adrian was arrested and charged with the rape of a door-to-door cosmetic sales girl named Lucy Lau Kok Hong, who had met Adrian while she was trying to sell some of her beauty products to Catherine. On October 9, 1980, Adrian told Lucy that a ghost had been haunting her and that he could help her exercise the ghost through his sex rituals. Lucy was not convinced and got up to leave, so in a quick act of desperation, Adrian decided to drug her and then proceeded to rape her like initially planned. Adrian had secretly mixed two capsules of Dalmadorm, a sedative, into a glass of milk and offered it to Lucy, claiming it had holy healing properties. She didn't see any harm in the drink at the time, so decided to drink it before heading out. Lucy quickly became groggy, and in her foggy state, Adrian then proceeded to rape her, just as he had with many victims before. The following few weeks after the initial drugging and rape, Adrian kept Lucy captive and continued to abuse her in his home by using drugs and manipulative threats to keep her from leaving. When she did finally manage to escape his home, Lucy went straight to the authorities and filed a police report. Adrian was promptly arrested on charges of rape, and Catherine was also charged as an accomplice to the crimes for abetting him. Adrian managed to get out of prison on bail, where he then told Ho to lie to the authorities by telling them that she was present at the apartment when the rape happened, but that she did not see any crime being committed. This tactic, however, didn't stop police from prying more into the situation and ultimately labeling Adrian as a rapist, much to his dismay. Adrian reportedly couldn't comprehend that he was in fact a rapist. He simply believed he was just a ladies' man and that he was irresistible to women. With his frustration towards the authorities and being labeled a rapist, Adrian plotted to attempt to distract the authorities from his sexual misconduct by committing a slew of child murders, believing that by doing something so evil, he believed it would take the cops' minds off of his rape charge. He also believed that child sacrifices to one of his goddesses would also help him escape the rape charge itself. So that is where the child murders began. Catherine and Ho assisted Adrian by finding him suitable sacrifices, as they called them, seeking out children who they felt would fit the bill. Numerous children were brought to Adrian, but he ended up rejecting them for numerous reasons. Then, on January 24, 1981, Ho saw young Agnes waiting at the Church of Risen Christ in Taupeo for her sister and persuaded her to ride with her, claiming she would take Agnes back home. Ho was the previously unidentified woman that Agnes was last seen with before she died. Back at Adrian's flat, the trio proceeded to feed Agnes, but little did she know that the food and drink they were giving her was laced with the same sedative Adrian used on many of his victims, Dalmadorm. Agnes became groggy from the sedative and fell asleep, so Adrian took this as an opportunity to sexually abuse the young child. Adrian, Catherine, and Ho then pricked Agnes's finger and each took a sip of her blood that dripped from the wound. They then took Agnes into the bathroom and Adrian then immersed her head into the toilet bowl. Adrian then reportedly began stepping on Agnes's body while Catherine held her legs, preventing her from fighting back. Adrian took out his electroshock therapy device and put it on Agnes to make sure she was dead. After they confirmed she had in fact passed, 
They then stuffed her body into a bag and dumped it near the lift at Block 11, where her body would ultimately be found. The horrific torture, rape, and murder of Agnes didn't satisfy Adrian's sadism, though. He wanted more, and this time, he wanted a boy. On February 6, 1981, 10-year-old Ghazali bin Marzuki was playing at a playground with his cousins when Ho approached him and asked if he could help her collect some things from a friend's house. Being from an impoverished home, Ghazali agreed and followed Ho into a taxi. Once they arrived at the flat, the trio proceeded to drug young Ghazali the same way they had with Agnes, but Ghazali took much longer to pass out from the drug, so Adrian decided to tie him up as a means to keep him from escaping. However, Ghazali awoke and put up a fight, trying to get free. Adrian then hit the boy, knocking him unconscious. They then pricked his finger and drew his blood, drinking it, just as they had with Agnes. After drawing his blood, they proceeded to drown Ghazali. The young boy struggled, vomiting, as he took his last breath. Catherine reportedly stayed behind to clean the flat, while Adrian and Ho disposed of the body. Once the boy's body had been disposed of, the three attempted to clean as much bloodstains from the floors and walls as they could, but the police had followed a trail of blood leading from Ghazali's body back to the flat, which is where we had initially left off. When the authorities questioned Adrian about the bloodstains on the floor, He initially tried to claim that the stains were from dripped candle wax, but when challenged by the investigators, he then changed his story and said it was chicken's blood from one of his many rituals. Upon searching the flat, the police found slips of paper with the dead children's personal details written on them, and Adrian attempted to put their suspicions at bay by claiming that Ghazali had come to his flat seeking treatment for a bleeding nose. Being the proposed faith healer he claimed to be, it could have been a likely situation, However, when Adrian tried to discreetly remove some hair from under a carpet and attempt to flush it down the toilet without authorities seeing him do so, the police stopped him, deciding to send the hair to forensic to see who the hair belonged to. It would later be determined that the hair belonged to Agnes Ning. The investigators at the scene were suspicious of Adrian, so ran a background check and found that he was currently being investigated for the rape of Lucy Lau Ko Kwang. Adrian overheard the authorities and became furious, yelling at the investigators claiming he was not a rapist. With both Adrian and Ho becoming increasingly agitated, the investigators' suspicions that the trio were involved in the murders became even more piqued. The authorities collected the evidence they found in the flat, sealed it off as a crime scene, and then brought Adrian, Catherine, and Ho into custody for questioning. Two days after their arrest, on February 8, 1981, Adrian, Catherine, and Ho were charged in the subordinate court for the murders of Agnes Ng and Ghazali bin Marzuki. A few months later, on September 16th through the 17th, the trio's case was brought to the court for a committal procedure. According to sources, in order to prove that there was a case against the accused, Deputy Public Prosecutor Glenn Knight called on 58 witnesses and arrayed 184 pieces of evidence before the magistrate. While Catherine and Ho denied any involvement in the murders, Adrian ended up pleading guilty and even claimed sole responsibility for his evil actions. 
the magistrate decided that the case against the accused was sufficiently strong to be heard at the high court, and the three remained in custody while investigations carried on. The trial took a total of 41 days, being the second longest to have been held in the courts of Singapore at that time. On May 25, 1983, the verdict of the seemingly endless trial would finally be made. Justice Sinothri delivered the verdict, stating that they found Adrian Lim to be abominable and deprived in carrying out his schemes. They deemed that Catherine Tanmui Chu was an artful and wicked person and a willing party to Adrian's loathsome and nefarious acts. The judges found Ho to be simple and easily influenced, and although she had suffered from schizophrenia, they believed that she was in a state of remission during the murders and therefore she should bear full responsibility for her actions. All three were ultimately found guilty of murder and received mandatory death sentences, which was the only available punishment allowed for murder under Singapore law at that time. Awaiting their death sentence, Catherine and Ho both submitted several appeals, denying their involvement, but each and every appeal was rejected. The day finally came on November 25th, 1988, when the trio were given their last meal and led to the gallows, where they would meet their fate through execution by hanging. Adrian reportedly smiled the entirety of his walk to the gallows, leaving an even creepier mark on the horrific case and lingering as one of the most sadistic and evil killers Singapore had ever seen. So that was the heartbreaking case of the brutal entrapment, torture, drugging, and murder of two young children. May young Agnes and Ghazali's name never be forgotten, and may they eternally rest in peace. Definitely let me know your thoughts on this case, and if you have any questions regarding it or any other cases I've previously covered, feel free to contact me at roguedarknesspod at gmail.com. You can also always reach out to me on my socials. Instagram or Twitter is at rogue underscore darkness. My website, roguedarkness.com, or even over on my YouTube channel. Links for everything are down in the description box of every episode. As always, be sure to share the podcast with anyone who you think would like it, and also be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Good Pods, or any other platform where you can leave a review to let other listeners know you enjoy the show. And if you want some personalized shoutouts and other exclusives, definitely check out my Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash roguedarkness. You can also check out my bonfire shop if you want to get your hands on some awesome merch. It's an awesome way to help support the show. And with that said, that concludes this week's episode of Rogue Darkness. The darkness is all around us, and I can confidently say that reality truly is more terrifying than fiction. Until next time.
If it's dark, twisted, and mysterious, then I want to dissect every possible explanation as to why it is. I want to understand the dark psychology of the most dangerous serial killers from the day they were born to the moment they snapped. I want to examine every cryptic conspiracy and even delve into the haunted paranormal. Join me, Ashley Lana, as I explore the obscure. This is Lullaby the Fear Podcast. Sweet dreams are made of these.